AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, everyone. This is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lolly Arakoglu. Hello. Just over a year ago, we sat down with Jessica Nabongo, who was some 44 countries shy of visiting every UN-recognized country in the world. Since then, she's seen all 195, successfully becoming the first documented black woman to visit every country in the world. A lot of that episode was about the in-the-weeds details of packing for months at a time on the road and visiting countries most Americans can't or won't visit. We'll link it in the show notes, and you should probably go back and give it a listen if you didn't hear it the first go-round. Needless to say, she's back in the U.S., and this time we're talking to her for our new How I Became series about how she became a country counter. Welcome back, Jessica. Hello. I can't believe it. I'm back and I'm finished. It's absolutely so wild that we've been talking to you and following this journey on Women Who Travel and on our former Travelogue podcast for like three years now. It's absolutely insane to see you in the flesh and done and so many stamps in your passport since the last time we saw you. Going back to the beginning, before you even had announced this journey, when did you start keeping tally of the countries you were going to, or like technically start the counting? So I actually think it was probably around 2010 or 11. So I had been, I moved to Japan in 2008. Um, I started the Catch Me If You Can, my blog in 2009. Um, And there's annual reviews that I used to do on my blog. And at the end of each review, I would say how many countries I had been to. And I had like one of those maps where I could add them in, like the where I've been maps. Um, So probably around 2010 or so. And at what point did you start tallying up those countries and think, all right, I've been to quite a few places (laughs) and I guess I'll keep going? Like when did you get the sort of first spark of the idea that you were like, okay, all right, I've been to so many of these, now I want to go to all of them? Yeah, so I think I I kind of always wanted to go to every country in the world. Um, There was an article that I wrote in 2014 where I mentioned it. I just always said I would do it by the time I was 40. So a much more relaxed pace, if you will, because it would have given me an extra five years versus what I just completed. Um, But in February 2017, while I was in Bali, Indonesia was my 60th country. And that's where I made the decision to finish by my 35th birthday. And I missed that by like five months, but finished nonetheless. Out of interest, what made you decide to, you know, rush it? Why did you think, (laughs) 
all right, actually, you know, I'm going to do it by 35. Because there was no other black woman who had done it, and I wanted to be the first. And so I was like, well, let me just do it really quickly so no one else can beat me. That's really what it was. Talk to us about country counting. When did you realize that there was this thing that people were doing? What is it, I mean, besides just actually counting countries. Yeah, so I climbed into that internet rabbit hole in February 2017. So there was a ton of news around Cassie Depay-Cole, who was the American woman who at that time had the Guinness record for doing it the fastest. Um, We've spoken about her before. She did it in like 18 and a half months. Um, And so when I saw news about her, I started like, digging and digging and digging and then finding this whole community Um, on Facebook there's a group called uh, Every Passport Stamp which a lot of the country counters are in there is a platform called Nomad Mania um, which they verify people Um, they basically get you to send in proof of the countries that you visited they pick 20 random countries and you have to prove it and then obviously Traveler's Century Club is a much much older club Um, I think it's less for millennials (laughs) but Nomad Mania for sure and every passport stamp are and so it was just interesting to see all of these people because there are some people who want to go to every country in the world then there's some people who want to go to every single territory in the world and then some people it's like they want to touch and put their toe on every square foot of the planet (laughs) I am not in any of those (laughs) (laughs) groups and you know when you started dipping your toes into these different communities and forums what were the sort of people you encountered be it in real life or online who who's in them all white men. <laughs> I mean, there's a few women. Uh, maybe you see posts from women like, you know, maybe a couple times a week, but not even. Um, so definitely. I'm assuming if you weren't feeling motivated to hit 35 before those groups, you probably were by the time you entered those groups. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Because um, definitely the average age is probably around like 50. (laughs) And I've run into some. So I went to Yemen and I ran into a Colombian guy. Well, we were we ended up going um, at the same time with the same guide. And then when I was Libya in Libya, there was um, a Greek guy who was, you know, visiting Libya. So, yeah, those were my two in-person run-ins. When you were hanging out with him, was there like a one-upmanship when it came to travel anecdotes? Was it like, well, when I was in such and such a place? (laughs) Well, you know what was interesting? Because I think my experience is so different. Um, Number one, because... I'm a black woman. <laughs> and number two, because I also travel on a Ugandan passport. So when they were like telling me the woes of trying to get into certain countries, um, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I just got a visa on arrival. Or I didn't need a visa to go to Eritrea. We're the only nationality in the world that doesn't need a visa to go to Eritrea. Um, so it was more of that comparing passport notes in that way. I know that we've talked about this on the podcast before, but what were the pros and cons of having your American and Ugandan passport when you were doing this? Oh, yeah. Like my Ugandan passport saved me no less than $2,000 because of African visas, mostly. Um, And also, like, for example, it's really difficult for Americans to get a visa to go to Iran and Ugandans get visa on arrival. Same thing with Eritrea. It's one of notoriously one of the hardest visas to get. I had visa-free access. Um, North Korea, Americans are forbidden to go to North Korea. I was able to go for six days. Um, So loads of benefits to using my Ugandan passport. And I think in the end, I used it to enter 49 countries. Venezuela was another country that I couldn't have gone on my American passport when I went. Um, When you were going across these borders and encountering these immigration 
um, officials and you would present your Ugandan passport. Did you ever have people ask you if you had an American passport and why weren't you using it? Um, yeah, so I've had um, lots of not so fun run-ins with immigration, uh, both using my American passport and my Ugandan passport. Um, a lot of times people have asked me using my Ugandan passport if I had another passport. Um, sometimes I would say yes. Sometimes I would say no, because it's like if I gave them the American initially, initially they would never ask me if I had another passport. So um, I had a situation in Nigeria just last month, um, to be fair, I had not done the proper visa application. Um, and they asked me then, like, because I presented my Ugandan passport, they asked me if I had another passport. And I said, no, because I heard they had been deporting Americans who showed up without a proper visa. Um, but I was able to, like, massage the situation because I was an African passport holder. So I, I think because I know so much about the world based on, like, my actual lived experiences, based on, like, you know, studying at the London School of Economics and studying international development. Because of that, I'm able to sort of figure out where I should and should not present the second passport. Join me, Esther Perel, every Monday in my office on Where Should We Begin? I'm talking to couples and individuals about love and work, about turning conflict into connection. More than ever, our relationships define the quality of our lives. So let's explore the myriad of relational challenges together. See you Monday. With all of the travel that you've been doing throughout your entire life, when do you feel like was the point, even if it was before you officially announced this journey, uh, when you felt like you had really mastered travel, like you got you were like perfectly good at it. Ooh, that's a really good question. I think <clears throat> I think it was probably after my time in Europe. So when I went to London, um I spent, while I was studying, I spent a lot of weekends visiting a bunch of European countries. And I think that got me really comfortable with like, you know, moving, well, mostly was British immigration because in Schengen, obviously you're not going through immigration, but having to deal with British immigration as an African person with an American passport was a challenge very often. And I think like once I got through that and I also visited Istanbul and Egypt um, during that time. And I think after those trips, I was like okay I got this like I'm very comfortable going anywhere in the world and you kind of touched on this a little bit but like what was some of the learning moments on those trips where you had to overcome something and you realized that you succeeded in doing so and you'd kind of you were like I'm getting kind of good at this. Yeah, humility. My goodness. So when you're dealing with immigration officers who are racist or like, you know, prejudiced in whatever way, um, you have to be so humble because they literally have the power to send you back to wherever it is you came from. So if you ever want to see me acting humble, just put me in front of an immigration <laughs> officer who's like, go back to Uganda. <laughs> and they just throw their hand up and they're like send, sending you away. Um, that is where I... I find the most humility in my life. So, are you counting to ten in your head? <laughs> yes, I, I was. I was just like, okay, okay. And it's interesting as well because, because um, sometimes people are like, well, why don't you just quote unquote tell them who you are? Which for me, I'm like, uh, I'm just a regular person. But actually, one of my handlers in Nigeria, my friend, was like, 
look her up on Google. And he was like, why didn't you say something? And so he ends up going to the immigration officer, like, look at this. What are you doing? And then they got really curious. And and that really did help to change the situation. Um, And I had to do the same thing in Equatorial Guinea as well, because they like were trying not to let me get on a flight. And I'm like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Please don't ruin this for me. And that sort of. But that's so crazy to me that like suddenly just doing this thing and having the publicity and the privilege of having that publicity suddenly gave Mm -hmm. you entry whereas literally 60 seconds before oh yeah in their eyes you're a different person oh yeah and they're yelling at you or they're ignoring you or they're like go sit in a corner for two hours um yeah and it it changes like that and then you're like well why didn't i do that two hours ago Um, I know that something that comes up a lot in the country counting community is how long is long enough for a visit to quote unquote count towards your counting. Um, What is your answer to that? So um, I think everyone's journey is different and I think to each their own. And I definitely feel like I've evolved on this. But I think, yeah, whatever you do in your life, that's your business. For me, I needed to have a meaningful experience. There are 11 countries where I have not spent the night. I'm sure in my lifetime I'll go back and maybe spend the night. Obviously not Vatican, but like places like Liechtenstein and Andorra um, and very small countries like that. I mostly didn't spend the night. So for a good example is um, Syria. So I got denied a visa to Syria on my Ugandan passport. And then they started giving Americans visas. um, But I also got denied. So I went to Golan Heights. And so there's a bit of controversy about that. Guinness Book of Records um, counts Golan Heights. And I went to Golan Heights to count for myself, even though I'm not doing a Guinness record. And I was comfortable with that because I had a driver who was Palestinian and he spoke Arabic. And he had been to Golan Heights many, many times before, but he'd never experienced what we experienced. And what that was, was talking to people. So we met this um, older woman who told us about the exact day when the border went up and how families were immediately broken up. Um, We talked to this guy who sells apples and he pointed to where his family was. And he also shared a story with us about a man um, whose wife was pregnant. He had gone to visit his family in the countryside and the war broke out that day. He never met his son until he was 40. And so those stories for me, like those are Syrian people. They now live in an occupied area of Syria, which is controlled by Israel. Um, But to get those stories, that was an amazing experience. And again, my Palestinian guide who'd been there many times before, he never had that experience. And so while some people may say, well, you didn't really go to Syria, well, go and tell those Syrians there that they don't live in Syria because they will fight you on that. Well, and I'm curious because your entire journey in this premise of country counting is so um, like standardized by borders. Mm -hmm. How did your impression of borders themselves change throughout this time of you having to cross so many of them? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I've had issue with borders, um, really going back to colonial times in Africa when they started putting up borders. Um, And after like a lot of the xenophobia came up in South Africa recently, I made a post and I said, I'm Ugandan because of colonization. Like I'm a Muganda, which is one person in my tribe, which is the Buganda tribe. Um, So I'm always going to be a Muganda. But the reason I am a Ugandan is purely because of colonization. So when you go to the borders of like 
Kenya and Uganda, Rwanda, Uganda, Nigeria, and Benin, these are all the same people. Like when you think of the Fulani people, they're a nomadic people. So to say that these Fulani are Nigerian and those Fulani are Ethiopian or, you know, from Burkina Faso, like the nationality doesn't even make sense because it's literally someone came and drew borders. Um, so yeah, my idea of borders, it's, I think borders in nation states are one of the worst things that happen to humanity because that's why we have the wars and global tension that we're dealing with. Um, so, you know, I wish people would be able to mentally see these borders as like very fictitious things so that as a globe, we can come together and just think of more people literally as just our neighbors. Clearly, you already had strong feelings about this before you kind of embarked on this incredible journey. <laughs> but what do you think the physical act of crossing those borders did to how you felt about it? Um, I think for me, it made it even more clear that it's not real, right? So like, especially again, I'm, I'm, I reference Africa a lot, but um, because I crossed a lot of the borders by land, a lot of those people just walk back and forth every day. You know, these are people who don't have passports, um, who probably never will have passports. That border means nothing to them because they're like, okay, I need to go to the market and the market's over there and I need to sell my things. I need to go over there. And a lot of times they're, they're walking across this land. You know what I mean? Because it's just land where we put up a fence or we put up a gate or something like that. Um, but that, the physical act of being in those places and seeing how fictitious those borders are, I think it really cemented like the theoretical idea that I had about it. Well, and I think it's so funny if you transplant that exact idea to somewhere like Kansas City and if you made that split down the middle into two different countries in the way that it's split across two different states, I think people would think really differently about how casually you call the same place one yeah. city name. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine if you had to have a passport if suddenly like Kansas was a new country, you know, it would be really interesting to see how people react to that. Poorly, I think. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Um, you have been home now for a month-ish, too. Well, it's been three months since I finished. I know, crazy, right? Um, I traveled. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. You've been jet-setting all over the world. I'm curious, you know, how has your travel changed now that you're not on this timeline? I definitely sat at home for, like, three and a half weeks before I got on a plane, which was a long time for me. Which for you, having basically not spent 
more than a month at home in the last year. Oh, I, I hadn't spent more than two weeks at home in the last two and a half years. So three and a half weeks felt like an eternity. How like, did you feel at the end of those three and a half weeks? Were you starting to get restless? Oh, yeah, I had to leave. Like, I had <laughs> to get on a plane and go. I was like, wait, I'm just going to sit in that 625 square foot house? What? No. You like look out on the street and you're like, this is what you people do all day? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So since I finished, like, I went to Kenya and back. Um... I went to Colorado, I've been to LA, I went to London and Senegal and Nigeria and Accra and back home and now I'm in New York. Um, so for me, I think what has changed is the way I'm experiencing places. Because the crazy thing is I will never go to a new country for the first time ever. In, except Bougainville, which is like about to be a new country. Girl, I'm going to ask you a question about that as soon as this one's over. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's different. I think um, the three and a half weeks that I spent traveling in December to four countries on two continents, it was really just full indulgence of being with my friends, um, full indulgence of the things that I love in the country. So like in Dakar, I ate a lot of yassa poisson, which is this amazing Senegalese dish. Um, in Nigeria, it was all about suya and champagne. <laughs> um, and so really just indulging and being with my friends and like enjoying my favorite parts of the countries that I visited. Did you find when you were visiting these countries for the first time and often in sort of small, quite small windows, did you feel a pressure to try and experience as much as you could in that short amount of time, almost to make yourself feel like, yes, I really was here? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now it's way more relaxed. So the first time I went to Nigeria, um, number one, everybody told me to go back in December because they were like, oh, yeah, Lagos is cool, but you have to come back in December. But I did so much. Um, this time it was way more relaxed. Uh, and except when I was doing all of the parties that they do in Nigeria in December. Um, but definitely a much more relaxed pace. Very, and plus, I think the way that I use social media is different now as well. So before it was like this intense self-imposed pressure um, to create these stories for the people who were following the journey. So to show the people like everyone like, okay, this is Legos. This is what we're eating. This is the market. Um, whereas now I can experience all of those things without thinking about someone else sitting on their phone watching me and focusing more on like what I want to do and how I want to experience it. Now that you've completed this journey or this particular journey, <laughs> are you worried that if you stop using social media altogether people will stop talking about your story or are you going to use it as a tool to kind of now you have this platform to tell other stories kind of what do you want to do with it because you have so much power now yeah that's really interesting so I've been really <laughs> thinking about how I want to use it um I'm okay if people stop talking about it. I mean, I hope that people have been inspired. Um, but my goal was never the press or anything like that. It was really for me to like visit every country in the world. Um, but I do think having this platform, um, I think my voice is really unique in this space. And I think one thing that I will continue to talk about is responsible storytelling. Uh, because I've seen how other country counters um, have talked about certain places, in particular African countries. Um, a lot of people didn't leave airports when they traveled across the continent or um, they got people in trouble like they, you know, they were getting border 
guards put in jail. And there were a number of things that I felt like were really, really irresponsible. And so since I spend so much time on the continent, I really do want to use my platform to continue to show positive stories and balanced stories um, about African countries and to continue showing African people living on the continent in dignified ways, you know, because we often, you know, we see poverty porn and things like that. And it's very um, patronizing. And just because someone isn't materially wealthy doesn't mean they're poor. It means that this is how they're living their lives. Many of these people are very happy. Um, Their needs are met and you know, just their life looks different from your life, but that doesn't make it worse than your life. Um, so I want to continue to use my platform in that way. So you mentioned um, Bougainville in yes. Papua New Guinea. So yes. there were tons of news stories in early January about this um, autonomous region in Papua New Guinea potentially being recognized as a new country. So what is your response to the question, what if you're not done? Well, when I finished on October 6th, there were 195 (laughs) UN member countries, well, 193 and two non-member serving states. Um, If Bougainville becomes a new country, I absolutely will go and I will visit it. Um, So I will as if they become a UN member. Right. So that's the other thing that it hinges on, Um, because for me, I was focused on UN member countries. Um, So I definitely would if it became a UN member country. When you saw that headline, were you just like, oh, fuck's sake? (laughs) So many people texted it to me. And I'm like, guys, I definitely have my finger on the pulse of like what's going on. Do you think Jessica knows? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I appreciated it. Um, But yeah, I was it's fine because I love the South Pacific. And so it's just another opportunity to go back. I would love to go back and um, explore Papua New Guinea even more. So for me, I'm not like stressed out at the possibility because getting on a plane is not that difficult for me do you miss planes um no i really don't (laughs) like flying i'm not afraid or anything like that but it's not comfortable unless you're flying business all the time and i'm not quite there yet in my life um so yeah i just don't enjoy like i hate airports even though i have clear um i have lounge access i preach i have all of the things that can move me through airports as quickly as possible but i don't enjoy traveling by plane really well yeah i think it gets worse the more you do it I think statistically, there's just more opportunities for things to go wrong if you're going more often. Like my luggage never showing up. But (laughs) even in terms of like, aside from things going wrong, the way it makes you feel. I feel like the more I fly, and maybe it's the as you get older and your body gets more tired or whatever, but the worse I feel when I get off planes. Yeah, so I suffered on my flight back from Accra. Part of that was because I bought my flight like, five days out and there were everyone was trying to leave so I ended up in like a regular 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 economy seat with no leg room um so that was not great um but I think there's things you can do to make it okay so I always have my reusable bottle I think if you're on an eight-hour flight you need to be drinking at least one liter of water at absolute minimum um I always wear compression socks over three hours to like help reduce um swelling Reach into the compression sock choir yes yes that's really important. So I think those two things are important. I think in terms of like your skincare, I'm very into serums and moisturizer now. So I try to make sure I do those things on a regular basis. So when I get on the plane, my, my skin doesn't dry out. What are your favorites right now to bring with you? Okay. So my favorites right now, 
Lemaire. Oh my God. Lemaire the concentrate. I know it's insane. Bougie. I know it's and I'm not I just got into skincare this year and they sent me this product and I'm like, damn it, now I'm addicted. <laughs> um and then Guerlain has this amazing uh, mattifying day cream, which Girl. I'm addicted to. <laughs> oh my God. It's so crazy. But they're just it's I mean, to be fair, it's your face. So, you know, we should. It's you important. Know, it's important. It deserves $190 serum. <laughs> Look, we all have our things that make us feel better. Yeah. That make us happy. Also, if you're flying as much as you are, I, it doesn't feel like such a crazy investment. I agree. See, yes. see, see. And then we break it down to like a monthly investment. Man, you just okay. do the cost per wear and then exactly, it all makes sense. Right? Well, and you know okay. what? It's even like, it's a lot more than $190 extra to fly business or first class. So if you're just going to add that onto your right. economy <laughs> seat, then fair play. Exactly. Right. See? Because I'm still flying economy. Thank you. Thank you for helping Found me justify rationale. that. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Are there any other hacks that you feel like you picked up? Because, you know, 44 countries in a year is pretty remarkable (laughs) and jam-packed. And I know that, like, as we've talked to you through this whole thing, it has been um, stressful. (laughs) Uh, What are the things that you picked up in the last year alone, just like hacks and tips that got you through the physical act of traveling? Not necessarily the borders or anything Mm -hmm. else, but like got you to 195 because you learned them as you were on the fly um lounge access is important (laughs) that may sound like bougie or something but that's super important just because if you have a long layover I just don't want to be sitting upright in an uncomfortable seat and then you have to pay for food and you know if you're there really long you may have to pay for a drink or two you could Um, take a shower yeah oh yeah oh my god Um, I take all of the showers the Air France lounges in Paris have um, complimentary Clarins facials which I've done many of Um, (laughs) there's a theme (laughs) right Jessica's face is glowing everyone you see me glowing Um, so that that's one thing. You know, another thing that a lot of people don't think about when choosing luggage, how your luggage rolls. Like, it's so important to have luggage that rolls well on any surface. Practice um, some jogging on some cobblestones <laughs> and see how things right, test out. Exactly. That's really, really important because sometimes, like, I'm texting, so I'm like just using my foot to push my suitcase. Um, so, how the suitcase rolls is really important. Also, um, my shoulder bag, uh, because I got into a dog sledding accident in Norway and I had problems. I. <laughs> Classic country counter story. <laughs> right? Um, so I have tears in my labrum, so I couldn't carry anything on my right shoulder. And so having um, a shoulder bag that that drops over the, I don't know, the, the handle. handle yeah. yeah, the handle of your roller bag. That's really important to me. So I never, like, have a backpack or anything on my shoulders. Um, that's really important, too. Oh, and making sure that you're carrying your reusable cup. Um, so especially if you think about, let's just think about a, transatlantic flight let's call it an eight-hour flight they're probably going to do at least three drink services if you have your own cup you're reducing the use of three plastic cups so imagine if like all 300 people on a plane did that that's the reduction of 900 plastic cups on a single flight so it's really important that you find um like a reusable metal cup that you know there's a few brands out there um there's some collapsible silicone ones too we'll drop some links to some in the show notes um what are other you know obviously you know, flying and the carbon footprint that comes with it has come into focus uh, and into the spotlight this year specifically. Um, 
what kind of is your response? I know that um, Outside just put out a story that travel is worth the impact that it makes on the environment. Um, kind of what is your take on your own carbon footprint and how we can all be more aware of our own when it comes mm-hmm. to travel? Um, that's really interesting. So, you know, I'm someone who's been traveling on planes since I was very young, largely because my family lives on two different continents. Um, so the idea of not traveling on planes is not really a possibility for me or anyone in my family um, because we're so spread out. No one has a sailboat for you to <laughs> no zip one. over to? <laughs> From right, to I know, <laughs> like up through the Suez Canal and through the Mediterranean, like what? That's insane. Um, so not flying is not a possibility for me. Um, and just because of, I think, like you're saying, they said it's worth it because there is an importance in cross-cultural exchange. I think it's absolutely necessary. Um, what I think needs to happen is like airlines don't need to be introducing new routes, right? If there's already planes going on a route, we don't need more of them. So I think the conversation really needs to happen with airlines um, because whether or not I get on a plane, that plane is still going to fly, you know? And so like that carbon footprint, are you dividing it amongst less people? Who are you putting that on? The only person you can put that on is the airline itself. Um, so I think there needs to be a conversation around that because there are flights that I've been on where it's like, this is only 30% full, you know, and they're still flying that plane. So that's proof that some of these routes need to be reduced. Um, So I think there definitely is a conversation that needs to be had in the industry. Um, As far as my individual, like what I do to offset my carbon, I don't do anything, largely because carbon offset programs (laughs) are to be investigated. Having studied at LSE and knowing what I know about carbon offset and actually what it really is. Um, I'm not comfortable paying the airlines extra to give to these certain organizations. Um, So currently, I've not found a solution for offsetting my carbon. Um, And I think travel is one area of our life. I just watched a documentary that said that fashion, the fashion industry is outputting more carbon than travel, which is crazy. So now I'm like, okay, not buying anything this year. Um, So I think there's so many things that we need to talk about. We're currently fixated on flights. We'll be fixated on something else tomorrow. Um, But I think there's a larger conversation to be had about how capitalism is putting us all at risk and is putting the planet at risk. And I think, again, like when you think about your life as a whole, pulling in the reusable water bottles and reusable cups into your entire life and not just your time on the plane can make a large impact Mm -hmm. larger potentially than other things that you do just occasionally and it's finding those things that work for you and and obviously you know we all are going to have to make sacrifices and probably make more of them as we go along but like I feel very comfortable not having a car and not driving because I live in a city that gives me the infrastructure to get around freely and therefore I because I'm not driving a car every day I feel slightly less guilty about getting on a plane yeah I also do not have a car look at us go driver <laughs> driverless girls that I can't drive so <laughs> the decision was made for me it's not that that honorable um but I wanted to wrap up with a question that when I saw you before you went to your final country you were very very clear that you were like no one asked me what I'm doing next. <laughs> Whatever you do, please don't ask me this question. So here what it is. What are you doing next, Jessica? <laughs> you had a three-month grace period. <laughs> um, okay, fine. Sheesh. Um, so this year, 
I'm writing a book <laughs> about my journey. You're like, I need to go like, boop, boop, boop. Oh, right, right, right. Um, you heard it here first. Everyone's been asking. I'm writing a book. Um, and I'm also dun, 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 gonna do a photography book this year. Yeah, I have. Um, I've been doing photography since 2005, I think, and I have over 70,000 images now. So super fun. I'm working with an archivist uh, to go through everything. Um, but yeah, so that's happening. This may be an easier question to answer than always, but where are you going <laughs> next? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Immediately Detroit, but that doesn't count. Um, I'm going to Jamaica. So I'm going to Jamaica February 2nd. And what's interesting about it is that um, I've been to every country in the last 10 years because I've been to a lot of countries more than once. There's only two I've not revisited since um, high school, and that's Jamaica and the Bahamas. So well, not even high school. I last went to Jamaica when I was 12. So I'm super excited to go and visit Jamaica this You'll year. You'll be going as an adult. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, I'm super excited. So yeah. Incredible. Well, where can people follow your trip to Jamaica and any other future trips and keep updated on the books? Plural. Yes. Please follow me online at the Catch Me If You Can. And Lotley? You can follow my travels but not so frequent travels at Lale Hannah on Instagram and I'm at oh hey there mayor you can check out all sorts of stories about Jessica's journey um, at cntraveler.com and other stories about our other women who travel advisory board members like Jessica at womenwhotravel.com be sure to follow us on Instagram at women who travel and sign up for our newsletter once again the link will be in the show notes we will talk to you next week Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.